Chapter 13, OASIS. OASIS stands for Office of Alcohol and Substance Abuse Services. It's a counseling service and an evaluation program for people with DWIs, alcoholics, drug addicts, and basically all who have had a run-in of some sort with the law. Lee had given me a list of Oasis centers way back when I first met him. Zolt's nephew, Tommy, had told me about a center named People in Bethpage. Tommy had had a DWI conviction at one time, and when he found out about mine, he recommended that center to me. Tommy told me they were wonderful. Naturally, I ignored him, just as I had ignored Lee's instruction to sign up for the program. Because I had ignored Lee... I had disposed of the list he gave me, so I went online and looked up the program. There was a list of centers. The closest one to me was in Amityville. It was called South Oaks, and I must have, in my travels, passed it at least a hundred times. I gave him a call. In order to be admitted, I had to go for an evaluation. My health insurance plan at the time, Healthy New York, didn't cover it. Didn't cover drug and alcohol rehabilitation service, so any cost would come out of my pocket. Of course, there was a fee just to be evaluated. I made an appointment, put on a jacket and tie, and showed up. I introduced myself at the desk and paid the evaluation fee of $100. The girl gave me an application and a questionnaire. The questionnaire was a doozy, questions ranging from were you beaten by your parents, what is your goal in life. I gave it back and sat in the waiting room patiently. The people in the waiting room were like on the bus, children of all ages. I was the only one in a jacket and tie, and quite frankly, frankly, felt that I was way out of my element. Most of the people were in jeans and were minorities. Michael Palermo, a voice called out. I looked up, and a smiling-faced, red-headed woman in her early 60s was standing there with my paperwork. I followed her into the office, and she told me to sit down. I could tell she was looking at me curiously as if she was surprised to see someone like me, but then again, not surprised. The interview began. She read over my questionnaire and asking me in more detail the same questions, wanting more specific explanations. She explained that I have to come twice a week for at least six months, once a week for an individual session and once a week for a group. She was very nice. I liked her and thought to myself, she must have been a beautiful woman in her younger days. I asked her a few questions relating to the program and the personnel. I found out she was a, an equestrian. We seemed to hit it off. Then she told me I had to take a breathalyzer test. Okay, I'm clean. I looked at her kind of like, you really think I've been drinking? Before I could get a word out, she said, I've had people like you who couldn't face this and actually had a drink or two before they came in here. So I blew in the tube zero. She told me she knew that that would be the case, but she was just following the rules. I understood. She walked me back to the desk, shook my hand, and set up my schedule. The cost, 80 bucks for each private session and 40 bucks for each group, 120 bucks a week for six months, and that was a discounted rate. Ouch. I started my meetings the following week. I'd go to the group meetings on Tuesday night at 7 p.m. and see Edna on Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. The meetings with Edna were fine and kind of therapeutic in their own way. We talk about a range of things, 
but mostly she wanted to make sure that I, un that I understood the seriousness and the consequences of drinking and driving. The group meetings were another story. First of all, they were held in a meeting room in the basement of the building. The place was filthy, dingy, with walls of peeling paint, and worst of all, as depressing as they could make it. The people in this group were obviously very troubled individuals. Drug addicts, heroin addicts, alcoholics, spousal abusers, you name it. There was one guy who, like me, was a first-time DWI offender. He was already in his tenth month of probation. Family guy in his late 40s, married with children. He made good money as an electronic sales rep, something he'd been doing for over 20 years. We kind of gravitated to each other. Nice guy. I would pick his brain about probation and all the things that went along with it. One night after our meeting, he took me to his car to check out the interlock device. He showed me what he had to do in order to start the car. Press a button, wait for a beep, blow in the tube, and wait for another beep that signaled it was okay to turn the ignition on. Man, I wasn't looking forward to this. The meeting continued for six weeks or right up till March 2nd, the day of sentencing. In the group sessions, we'd see movies of addicts, alcoholics, etc., and we'd have discussions that I really didn't find helpful to me. I knew what the deal was, and I never considered myself an alcoholic, just someone stupid enough to make the mistake I made. In one group session, a counselor went around the room asking each person if they were ashamed of themselves. Everyone either said yes or was reluctant to say no. When she got to me, I said I was not ashamed. I made a mistake, admitted it to myself, admitted it to the members of my family, and I was going to do my penance and move on. I think that kind of startled her. She was an old-school counselor. There was also a younger woman counselor who said I should be proud of myself or not for feeling that way. And the two of them kind of went at it for a few minutes. Bottom line, we all make mistakes. Just try not to make the same mistake twice.